following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. When I think of where you brought me from, where I could have been, crippled, broken, ruined, and burdened down by sin, I just lift my voice to thank you for all you've given me. And I cry, give me a heart, Lord, to win the loss for thee. Give me a heart for others, a longing to win souls for thee. Give me the privilege to tell them of your love on Calvary's tree. Into the highways and byways, I'll be what you want me to be. Give me a heart for others That I might win them for thee been brought into your family to feel your warm embrace. You've told me that you cared for me. You saved me by your grace. When I see the many blessings that you have given me, then I cry, give me a heart, Lord. To win the lost for thee Give me a heart for others A longing to win souls for thee Give me the privilege to tell them Calvary Street Into the highways and byways I'll be what you want me to be
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message title is The Complete Jesus. The Complete Jesus. Almighty God, you poured yourself out as the Father of heaven and earth. And you poured out Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. It was not a casual decision. It was the most costly decision ever in the universes. And I'm sure the angels are still in wonderment and awe before you, almighty God, that such love could exist. I know that you are overcoming the power of darkness by the power of your love. Thank you, Lord. Now would you quicken, Holy Spirit, this word, that it could be useful to many. I pray in your holy name. Amen. The Jesus we serve in America is incomplete. And until we begin to understand who the complete Jesus is, we will be culturally acceptable. When we begin to understand and walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ, we will be persecuted. If today we begin to walk along the lines outlined by Jesus as the way of the cross, we will be persecuted. We have taken out of the gospel those parts that are not appropriate for the culture that we live in. And because of that, the Christian faith has become quite acceptable toothless and powerless against the wickedness of this age so that homosexuality can come rushing in as an evil spirit and steal away even our children. One out of ten Americans is plagued by the problem of alcoholism. One out of ten. Now, I'm not saying one out of ten drink alcohol. I'm saying one out of ten Americans have an alcohol problem. Speaking with one young man, he identified the problems he's dealing with. Pornography. Smoking. Pot, alcohol. These are the great common sins of America. And yet, those sins sit comfortably in churches Sunday after Sunday. 
So I'm going to try to outline in a very brief way a more complete picture of Jesus. I won't accomplish what I want to in the full expression of who he is because we'll have eternity to do that. But at least I'd like to begin to read some serious amount of scriptures. Not taking just one piece here and there, but several parts and reading them to you to give you a more complete picture as Jesus himself describes himself in the culture in which he's in. We'll begin in Matthew, Matthew, the 10th chapter. And I'll begin in verse 34. The context is that everyone who confesses Jesus before men He will confess before the Father in heaven. But if you deny Jesus before men, before the culture, he will deny you before before the Father. And of course, we deny something by remaining silent about it. When we went to the store, the Verizon store, After we had finished and they had given us such a wonderful blessing, the manager was there and and he was helping walk through everything. And I said to him, now after a year, does our price jump up? He said, no, no, I gave you permanent discount. I looked at him surprised. He said, you're friendly. I like you. And I said to him, does your crew like donuts? Oh, yes. Could I bring by some donuts? Yes. And then someone mentioned Bonchon chicken. And they stood and extolled the wonderful taste of Bonchon chicken for the next 10 or 15 minutes. They were unashamed of their taste for the garlic bonchon chicken. I said, okay, guys, I got it. How about if I bring you bonchon chicken? Yes! So Monday, we go to bonchon chicken and buy them chicken to say thank you. I've never heard of anybody... Talk about Jesus the way they talked about Bonchon chicken. I suspect that if you did, people would react the same way. They'd be all ears and all eyes, and they'd want to know is it really that good? Does Jesus really take away all your sins? Does he really set you free? You mean I can be free of this alcohol? 
You mean I don't have to go here anymore? I don't have to wake up in the morning with a guilty conscience? You mean I can be clean? I can be a virgin again? I can start over again? Yeah, that's Jesus. But in our culture, we deny Jesus before the crowd because we think no one's going to approve. Verse 34, let's begin some serious reading. Do not think I came to bring peace upon the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to divide a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a bride against her mother-in-law, and the enemies of the man are of his household. The one loving father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one loving son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who does not take his cross and keep on following after me is not worthy of me. The one having found his life will lose it, and the one having lost his life for my sake will find it. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is not the common cultural understanding. To come to Jesus involves dying. And as I shared Tuesday night, if If I'm driving home this afternoon and a semi-truck hits my car and I'm crushed and I'm killed, what happens to all of my stuff? Well, according to my will, it will be distributed. And I won't be back. I'm gone. One of the great sadnesses of my heart has been that I cannot drive to Pennsylvania and sit down with my father and talk with him. He's not there anymore. He's up on the hillside in a grave. His body is moldering. He's gone. He won't be back. Jesus used that same example to say, A man who chooses to follow Jesus dies and your property is distributed according to your will. And if you are in Jesus, your will says everything belongs now to Jesus Christ. I don't own it. I'm not coming back. I don't need it. It belongs to Jesus. This is what he's saying. It's very stark. The one receiving you receives me, and the one receiving me receives the one having sent me. The one receiving a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one receiving a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever may give one of these little ones a cup of cold water to drink only in the name of a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. He's talking about these people who have died. 
Jesus did not come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword to separate the Christian from the non-Christian. And he's saying now in the, in, the, in the culture, those who give to care for these little ones who now have given up everything to follow Jesus, they'll be rewarded too. And it came to pass when Jesus finished instructing his disciples, his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now John, having heard about the works of Christ in the prison, having sent two of his disciples, said to him, Are you the coming one, or must, might we look for another? So John has been totally given over. He's been separated out. Now he's in prison for this Messiah, his cousin. And he's hearing things about his cousin that cause him to be very concerned because John's been living out in the desert, probably with the Essenes, living a very monastic life. And now Jesus comes. He's going to the Pharisees, teaching, being criticized. He's going to the tax collectors, eating in their homes. After having gone a report to John, what you hear and see, having gone report to John what you see and hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is whoever may not be caused to stumble because of me. Now as they were going, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the desert to see? a reed being shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft garments? Pay attention. The ones wearing soft things are in the houses of royalty. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, yet more than a prophet, for this is, the, this is he concerning whom it has been written. Take note, I am sending my messenger before your appearance, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not appeared a greater one than John the baptizer, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the baptizer until now, the kingdom of heaven is entrusted, is entered with burning zeal. And the passionate eagerly claim it for themselves. So Jesus is saying, look, you're going to have to be passionate about going after the kingdom. You're going to have to have burning zeal because you're going to die. And your goods are going to be distributed according to your will. And the will says they all go to Jesus. He owns everything. For all the prophets and the, and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah, the one being about to come, the one having ears to hear, he might, 
he must pay attention. But to what will I compare this very generation? It's similar to children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their friends and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance and we sang a dirge for you and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a gluttonous man and a wine drinker and a friend of tax collectors and sinners and yet wisdom is vindicated by her children. And then he began to denounce the cities in which many of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethesda. For if the miracles were done in Tyre and Sidon, the ones having been done among you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, the one having been exalted to heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the miracles were done in Sodom, the ones having been done among you, they would have remained until this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, that it will be more tolerant for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. You understand what happened to Tyre? Tyre was a a city on the shore, but off the shore was the business section on an island. And Babylon came against it and was determined to destroy it. Their walls on all sides were 100 feet tall on the island. It was impregnable. It was like a safe where all the goods were stored. They said, no one can enter this island. And so that's where the bank was. That's where the gold was. The riches of Tyre were hidden there. Well, the city was destroyed. It was turned into rubble. And then they said, they can't take us. Everyone had retreated to the ocean fortress. But the Babylonians said, we can take you. For nine months, they hauled the dirt, the debris of Tyre, and put it in the ocean. And they build a causeway all the way out through the ocean to the walls. And then they brought in their great battering rams. They brought in their catapults to throw fire over the walls of this ancient city. But in order to build that causeway, they literally had to take all of the soil down to bedrock. And if you look at pictures today of ancient Tyre, it's smooth. All the soil is gone. That's how the Lord treated Tyre in judgment. 
And Jesus is saying that was a, that was a gentle judgment compared to what's going to happen to you, Bethesda. Because the miracles done in you, they would have repented. I began to think about that. They had the Bible. We have the Bible. They didn't have it. All the miracles Jesus did are right here recorded in the scripture. We can read them. The judgment of God is going to be more severe on you and me than it was on Tyre. If there is not a radical change in our lives to meet What Jesus is saying, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. If there is not a separation in our life from everything of the wickedness and darkness of this culture, judgment will come on us. Now, I want to take this a step further. The difficulty is that today we can say, We don't want to sin. And that's okay to say that. It's okay to say, repent of your sin. Just don't tell me what my sin is. Don't get personal. Don't tell me to turn my television off. Don't tell me just to cut off that wickedness, the pornography. The gambling, the drinking. Don't tell me to cut those things off. But please, may I make it very personal? Don't tell me that Jesus was all about the redemption of men and women. And that if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, all of my energy... And my life must be poured out in service to Jesus for the redemption of men and women. Every act of kindness done. Is in the context of Jesus Christ. Now you probably have already guessed what we're going to do with the chicken. We're going to take it. We're going to give it to these men and women. And we're going to say, now, would you all come and gather around? Because this is coming to you in the name of Jesus. And we're going to pray a prayer of blessing over that chicken. And we're going to invite them to come to the National Prayer Chapel and repent of their sin. And get clean with Jesus. I'm not going to do a cultural deal. Where I walk in and say thank you. Here's your chicken. Bye. Are you kidding me? I'm going to use chicken to save their souls. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. I'm going to have a hard time keeping Alexandra from jumping up and down. 
Am I right? I mean, the opportunity before us to bring people by acts of love and kindness and mercy to this Jesus who will then bring a sword into their life to separate them out for himself. Now watch. In Matthew 11, 25. At that time, Jesus, having answered, said, I thank you, Father, Lord of the heaven and of the earth, that you hid these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to the children. What has he revealed to the children? Entering into the kingdom of God. We are literally in the church a part of a kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we exist in another realm of utter darkness. And in this realm of utter darkness, if we allow the tentacles of this darkness to enter into our soul, they will poison us. And frankly... The church has been much more influenced in recent years by the world than we have influenced the world for righteousness. And that is true because most Christians are either totally connected with the world and they have rejected the sword of separation or They live in their little monastic center and refuse to testify and to witness. I think about Cornelius. What was Cornelius' model? Invite all your family and all your friends and then have the rhema word of God spoken to them. Every one of you in this room knows the rhema word of God. What would happen if you invited your friends to your house and shared the rhema word of God with them out of love and compassion and mercy and you told those people what Jesus has done for you? Now, in our culture, we want to keep our home separate from the workplace. We want to keep things compartmentalized so that we're not going to be persecuted. Nobody's going to dislike us. Well, you know what? I don't dislike the ones who brought me to Jesus. I love them with all my heart. And those who've helped me in the journey, I love them. All of you. You've encouraged me in the way. Even my contrarian brother has encouraged me in the way. 
right? That's right. You're telling them right. We need to begin to understand the sin of the righteous. In refusing to take up the cross of testifying and witnessing that Jesus has brought a sword to divide us from the world and begin to share the gospel and invite people to participate with you in what you consider to be precious. Of course, you're not going to be able to do that if if you walk in the ways of darkness. So really, we're talking about two things. We're talking about those Christians who walk in the ways of darkness so they have no testimony, and then those who walk in righteousness before God but have never begun to understand that it's about winning souls to Christ. It's not being contained by the culture, but breaking the norms of the culture to say Jesus is Lord. I have had very few people curse me We're talking to them about Jesus. I have had some. Most have been willing to listen. Some have said, I need that freedom too. Now I see the battle being waged in men and women all the time where those men and women say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And then the powers of darkness seem to just come around them and begin to rip and tear until they say, it's too hard. No, it's not. It's too hard to walk in the darkness. Now listen. All things, verse 27, were handed over to me by my Father. And no one fully knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone fully know the Father except the Son. And to whom the Son may will to reveal him this knowing of the complete Christ, the complete Jesus, will be the mystery of the ages as we endeavor to understand all of the secrets of wisdom we're told are hidden in Jesus Christ. The big deal now is that 
the artificial intelligence computer will have an IQ of 10,000. What's your IQ? 120, 130? The AI will have a 10,000 IQ. The humanoid AI that will be able to talk with you. They're saying he will become a god and that he is worthy of worship. All of the secrets of wisdom are hidden in Jesus. He is the Lord. Now, in verse 28, we have a very interesting command. You must come to me. All the ones having been weary and having been burdened, and I will give you rest. There's not one of us here that does not want rest. We get tired. That's our flesh. That's the body we dwell in. After a full day's work, I will sometimes say, wow, I'm tired. And then I'll recognize I'm supposed to be tired. That's what happens when you work. You're exhausted. The question is, where do we go for that rest? Our culture... goes to food and drink in a club setting. Our culture goes to the movies, to the television, to the internet. Our culture goes to kayaking or running or weightlifting or whatever causes you to just relax. Jesus is jealous to be for us our place of rest. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with kayaking, biking, recreation. It builds us up. It doesn't, if it builds us up, if it doesn't tear us down, it's all a part of what our physical bodies need. But Jesus is saying at a very fundamental level, I know the inner workings of the Father. He knows my inner workings. I know yours. And you need to come. You must come to me if you're going to survive. If I don't go to Jesus... I will go to some way that I can escape how I'm feeling. Whether it's food or depression or exercise, I'll go somewhere. 
because the burdens of life are more than we can handle. So where do you go to get your rest? The word rest literally is repose. It's, I will give you a bed. What bed do you sleep in? If it's the devil's bed, if it's the bed of the flesh, then you will not be resting in Jesus. He says, you must take my yoke upon you. Now, this seems strange to me. Look, I'm going to give you rest. Now, take a yoke. That's work. How do I rest when I work? Jesus is saying, look, if you're weary, if you're beat up by living in this world, come to me and I'm going to give you a way of functioning that will be peaceful and restful for you. You must come to me if you're weary and having been burdened and I will give you rest. You must Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am considerate and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So he's not speaking here about rest for your body. Your soul is your personality. It's who you are. It's talking about the peace in your inner being. coming into a place in Jesus Christ where your soul, your personality finds rest. For my yoke is useful and my burden is light. I've really been praying about Asking Jesus about, how do I have more of Jesus? How do I have more of Jesus? And of course, I know the answer in part is you read more, you pray more. But I also know the answer is his yoke. Doing what Jesus asks me to do in the workplace, in the home. It is being yoked in union with Jesus. He's telling us, if you're beat up, if you're weary because of the crisis of your heart and your life, Sickness in the family, financial pressures, the impossibility of moving forward. He's saying, if you're faced with what every human creature is faced with and you can't get through it, come to me. You must come to me. And take my yoke. 
Now, what, can I tell you what the yoke of Jesus is? And when I say, you're going to immediately know it. Jesus only wears one yoke. He wears the yoke of atonement. He wears the, ro- the, the yoke of redemption in love of men and women. The only yoke Jesus wears is doing the Father's will to redeem the bride of Christ. He is single-focused on that. If we're going to be yoked with Jesus Christ, then the focus of our heart, the focus of our prayer, will be the redemption of men and women. The focus of our prayer life will be the redemption of men and women, of our children. The focus of our energies will be service to Jesus that results in the redemption of the lost. Now, I've been praying for the resources to cover radio for this month. But for me, it is not a money issue. For me, it's a salvation issue for many in Washington who need to hear the gospel day by day. So I don't pray for the money for the sake of the money. Money for me is simply a tool to accomplish the work of God. And I can't do the work of God if I don't have the tools necessary to do that work. but I have no desire for money for the sake of money. I desire it for the work of the gospel, for the redemption of man, because I have joined and have been yoked with Jesus Christ, and he's on a single-focused mission, resulting in the expelling of the powers of darkness, destroying those, and bringing in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven into the earth. And he does it not with the weapons of darkness, but he does it with the weapons of heaven, love, mercy, kindness, self-sacrifice. He lays his life down for us. And so we come recognizing today that Jesus' purpose was not to bring some NGOs, humanistic love and peace to the earth. That's not why he came. He came to bring division and separation between the powers of darkness and the powers of light. He came to draw a distinct line between darkness and light. He came to enroll us after we get beat up sufficiently that we finally say, okay, I'm through, I'm had enough, I'm done, I sign up, Jesus. Okay, I put my yoke on you, now let's go save somebody. Let's go serve somebody. Let's go love somebody. I'm terrified that 
on that great day of judgment, we will have made secret decisions, comfortable decisions, that have allowed us to be comfortable in our culture at whatever level we're able to be comfortable. And we will have denied Jesus Christ, not by what we believe, but by our refusal to be yoked with Jesus Christ for the redemption of the lost. If you know, if you love a person who is lost, and if you are yoked up with Jesus Christ, you will be praying for that person's salvation. And you will be finding ways to love them and serve them. And you will not be trying to tear down strongholds by getting mad at them or by judging them. You will not be trying to tear down strongholds with enemies of the weapons of the enemy. You will be doing it with the weapons of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not understood even by John the Baptist. He was not understood by the leaders of the people of that day. And he says, I'm very grateful, Lord, that you have made plain to the children and the wise and the intelligent. They don't understand. Last week, I challenged you and asked, will you dedicate your life to the work of revival? Two of you came forward and said yes. But in reality, this is the true question. Will you be yoked up with Jesus Christ for the redemption of the lost? There is no other yoke. It is the singular yoke. Revival is simply the beginning of it, a decision to obey Jesus, to walk clean, to redeem the lost. That's what revival is. I pray today it's been made plain. Will you take the yoke of Jesus Christ? Will you learn from him to be a fisher of men? You will find rest for your soul. He says, my yoke is useful. And my burden is light. He's the one who does the hard pulling. And I have a whole number of people that I'm crying out to Jesus over. And I'm saying, Jesus, I can't pull them out. You're going to have to pull them out. He has the power, not me. But I can partner with him in prayer. I can be yoked with him in testimony 
and in witness. And he says it will be very useful. I'm a practical guy. I like things to work. And if they don't work, I want to find out how to fix them. Are you yoked with Jesus? Are you a useful Christian? Do you know the complete Jesus? Lord, thank you. Let your name be honored today by our making the decision that in every respect we will be yoked with you. And the singular cause for which we are yoked for the salvation of the lost and the dying. Lord, help us to know how to walk this out. And again, Lord, I commit my life to the work of revival, to being yoked with you in your singular goal of redeeming us from the powers of darkness. I pray in your holy name. Amen. RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge. Revival now church. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. We love you. God bless you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of